Have you dreamed of having ways to engage with Off the Left Eye and its vibrant community on a daily basis? We're revolutionizing how we do things here at Off the Left Eye to bring you the best content we can create and offer new means of connection, vision, and support throughout the week. Our schedule of content will be changing and we have some exciting announcements to share. Here we are inside Off the Left Eye, a new podcast offering by the Off the Left Eye team with original material every week coming to you on Sundays starting July 19th. I'm your host, Chelsea Odner, and I'll be having exclusive interviews with Curtis Childs, director of Off the Left Eye, and none other than the Reverend Dr. Jonathan Rose, series editor for the New Century edition of the theological works of Emanuel Swedenborg. And as an extra treat, we'll hear from Emanuel Swedenborg himself. Well, at least the record he left of where he was and what he was up to this week in history. You can subscribe to Inside Off the Left Eye now wherever you listen to podcasts. And stick around to hear about the exciting changes happening at Off the Left Eye. Hey, Curtis, thanks so much for joining me here. Chelsea, I just appreciate you giving me some time on the program here. I'm a big fan. I know. Well, a big fan of this brand new thing. This is the first taste of our new podcast, Inside Off the Left Eye. I have listened to every episode of this podcast. <laughs> you, you listened to the uh, little, what was it, little bonus trailer bit that was like 30 seconds long, 10 times? You, you better believe it, front awesome. to back. That's great. Um, so it's exciting. Yeah, congratulations on the, on the launch of this, and it's a cool endeavor to get people a little closer to our brand and the organization of Off the Left Eye. That's right. And I... I'm excited right now. So this is good, you know, going to give people a taste of this podcast that they can look forward to that's um, going to be launching on in July. But there's other things coming down the line, too. And that's what we really want to spend our time right now telling people about. And so, yeah, July is a big month for us this year. And one of the main reasons is because we have a brand new website. Yeah, yeah. And I think about when, I mean, to us, I don't know to you at home, uh, it could be a situation where it's sort of like, oh, what'd you get me? What's my big present for Christmas? <laughs> oh, like a shirt or something health related or educational. But a website is actually a really big, important step forward for us. And there's two things that it's going to do. It's going to both give all of you better access to the content. I mean, YouTube has been very good to us, but it's got limits as far as how we can group ideas together, make it easy for you to find what you're looking for. So it'll be hopefully a really uh, user-friendly, intuitive way for you to just whatever you're looking for, you find it there. But also, it's going to hopefully be a way that we tap into a huge new audience and invite a lot of people into our community because there's a whole world of search traffic out there for the web that we really think we can take the success we've had on YouTube and replicate it there. Yeah, and it's really exciting getting to work on creating this website. Like every every little bit that we, you know, bit of progress that we make, it just feels like this beautiful exciting thing that is just coming into form before our very eyes and I'm just so excited to get to, you know, unveil that for everybody in in just a few weeks. And Yes. Yeah. So we're we're giving you guys a sweater, but you're going to learn that eventually maybe it's your favorite sweater. This is going to be your favorite sweater. It's going to keep you warm and it's going to be soft and fuzzy. So that's yeah. exactly what people want in July, right? <laughs> You'll be cool in it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, other things coming in July is we are just sort of revamping the whole schedule of how we do things, uh, really also because to just kind of be upping our game in in what we're able to offer people, like the experience. Um, and And so now not only 
you know, regularly we've got, you know, our usual programs. Nothing's nothing's changing on the program front exactly, but it's when and and how often. So now people are going to be able to have a new Swedenborgian life to watch every Monday and every week is going to have a topic that carries through for that whole week. So people are going to have the Monday Swedenborgian life and then Wednesday news from heaven to do sort of extra study along with you and then Friday will be our Q&A show. So weekly, people have the chance to get their questions answered and just kind of journey with us through the week for each topic, each program devoted to that same topic. You're going to be able to get in the zone. I mean, I feel like when I when I encounter these amazing ideas in Swedenborg, they usually need time to sink in and I need to be focused on them and, and going through different life situations with them in my back pocket. So hopefully you'll be able to come on this journey with us. And really by the end of the week, you've got something that, that's really in your tool belt. Yeah. And and also to sort of make that as, as accessible as possible for our a very wide-ranging audience, we've picked a new time for everything on our channel to premiere. And that's going to be noon Pacific time, if you're on the West Coast, 3 p.m. Eastern time, and then 7 p.m. Greenwich Mean time. So we're thinking with that shift, it's going to, you know, be an adjustment, but I think it'll really help people, you know, maybe we'll, there will always still be people watching our content at two in the morning, but I think more people will find it easier to find, you know, watch our content at a, at a time you know, when it first comes out, they'll get to be there and see it. And it's meant to simplify things for you. So all of you, right now, there's different content debuting at different times all over the place. You never quite know when's the new off the left eye. But, you know, every day there's going to be something that you can do that, that if it's, you know, past that time where you are, there's something new for that. And actually that time, there's science behind it. We looked at YouTube has this brand new analytics tool that lets us know when our audience is most active. And that was the time when, one of the times when, when you all were. So hopefully this is going to be a step up in convenience, consistency, and an ease of use for you guys. That's right. And so in between those days when we have new content coming out, we have other exciting things that people can, that'll just support people even more in exploring these ideas. And so on Tuesdays, we're going to be, you know, so after the Monday, you know, launch of the topic with Swedenborg and Life, Tuesday, people will be able to get a new piece of what we're calling inspiration art. And that's just really, if you've seen our, you know, followed us on Facebook, it's more of the same, like, uh, you know, these inspirational quotes of Swedenborg, but now tied with the custom, you know, just this amazing, beautiful art by our very own Meng Zhang, who's one of our graphic designers. So that paired with a quote from Swedenborg that really grounds the idea, um, people can get that and download it and sort of put it put it wherever they want, like you were saying, to sort of help remind them through the week as we're exploring this topic together. It's like a flashcard and a postcard. It's a flashcard just so you yeah. can take the core idea and just remember it, remember it, because it's this repetition that will get it to be real for you. But then it's like a postcard, hopefully something that if you if there's somebody maybe that you think, oh, they'd really like some of this Swedenborg stuff, but I don't want to give them more than they can hold at one time. It's just a little, simple, beautiful, uh, uplifting thought for the day that you can easily share on somebody's wall or whatever, wherever people share things now. Yeah, that's right. And And so then on Thursdays, we're going to be putting out a new reflection question every week associated with the topic where people can, you know, we can have discussion. Um around that. And then on Saturday, kind of similar to the inspiration art, but now something that people have always asked us for, you know, it's like, wow, these ideas are just kind of like blowing the roof off in my mind. And I'm, you know, it's changing my life. And 
But when I go to try to talk to somebody else about it, you know, you're tripping over your words, <laughs> you know, trying to say Swedenborg, people are giving you like that blank stare. And um, what's so hard about talking about spirits connecting to your thoughts and the, yeah. the love and truth being the true substance of the universe? No, it's tough. I mean, that off the left eye. <laughs> The reason we're here is the difficulty of communicating the ideas. So we get it and we want to help you be ambassadors for what we're doing. And that's why we are now going to be offering weekly our quick answers on these topics. So instead of a super long video of like, hey, can you give your Monday night to this to this show and just see what you think? Now these are going to be these compact three-minute videos that really tackle a certain spiritual question and really give it all we've got in terms of, you know, ideas and then beautiful animations that can really be a means of introducing people into, into those. Yeah. Yeah. Should be slick. And so then to close out the whole week, we, on Sundays, every week will be a new episode of the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast. And here we are, Inside Off the Left Eye, and that's what it's going to be. Meta moment. It's very, very, yes, indeed. And so then every every week, um, it'll be, you know, not having such an informational conversation as this one of like, hey, here's our schedule. But again- This this one is boring compared to what it's usually going to (laughs) be. Oh, but just wait, it gets very exciting. (laughs) Okay, okay. (laughs) Coming down the line. But um, the- you know, the podcast will be a place where we can, again, there's always more we can dig into around any particular topic. So it'll be a chance for us to have a conversation about sort of really interesting ideas that we come across in our research for these shows, but, you know, don't have another way to kind of, you know, squeeze it in there into the show or something. And and then beyond that, getting to talk with Dr. Jonathan Rose about the things that he's uncovering in through his work in the translation of Swedenborg's works. Um and then sort of my favorite little bit is, uh, you know, a uh, going back in time and time traveling to where uh, what Swedenborg was up to this very week in history. And so that's what we can get to right now. So, Curtis, I wonder if you can hang on for a sec. I'll go talk with Jonathan and then we'll circle back together and we can see where Swedenborg was and what he was up to this week in history. Yeah. Tell him I say hello. All righty. Thanks. Hey, Jonathan, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, Chelsea, thanks for having me. So for this segment in Inside Off the Left Eye, we're coming to you to sort of the desk of the the NCE to get some insights from you about whatever it is that you're working on right now. And for people who aren't familiar, first of all, the NCE stands for New Century Edition, which is short for the New Century Edition translation of the theological works of Emanuel Swedenborg, um, if I have that right. And... And this is really, like I mentioned earlier, like the fuel for Off the Left Eye, because we having getting to work with you with the NCE team means that we have this resource of not just these amazing, modern, fresh, accessible translations of Swedenborg's writings, but then the insight that you guys as translators get because you're spending so much time uh, in in the source material like that, right? And is there anything else you'd want to say about the the NCE for people who maybe aren't familiar? Well, the New Century Edition, uh, its first volume came out in 2000, and so we've been working on this for a while. We started a few years before that. And uh, it's been such a joy. It really still commands the lion's share of my time. Uh, Off the left eye, uh, my own participation in it is more of a sideline for me, very enjoyable. 
but the editing takes a lot of time for the New Century Edition. But I've been so delighted. I hadn't expected to see something like this where these translations are able to be used in this new way and go out to a larger audience uh, than we could possibly find for just the books by themselves and creating interest. And, and um, so it's been really great and connected us with people. We, we've even been able to hire people for the New Century Edition out of the Off the Left Eye audience. And, and so there's a nice symbiosis that's developed there between the two. Oh, yeah, that's really wonderful. And I know... I know for myself, for writing for Swedenborg in Life, you know, you can't uh, interact with these ideas like studying this material without it kind of seeping in and starting to affect, you know, just how you think. And, you know, obviously I just uh, am obsessed with it myself, but it's like to when I work on a show, I'm researching ideas and it just, uh, you know, my mind is sort of maybe just getting blown every turn of the page. Um, and so I can only imagine for you as a translator where you're going back to the Latin and having to really sit with with individual passages or even individual words and just have, you know, you're like right up against the flames, so to speak. I just think of like a glass blower yeah. or something like the rest of us can appreciate this like lovely vase, but you're like there in the furnace, like um, molding the molding the very substance of it um, and getting at that that source. So and sometimes you do feel like you need a little sunblock or something because it's uh, it's just intense. Uh, it's wonderful, though. It's really great. And actually a problem that we have sometimes is that when we're working on it, there's a certain kind of schedule and we're moving through the text. But you want to keep thinking about the thing from two days ago, you yes, know, right. or last week, and it's just haunting you, you know. And so it's fun to see how these things go. Yeah, and well, and so what I love that part of what this part of Insight Off the Left Eye can be is that I know that you doing this work, you've got these, you know, insights just sort of flying by uh, that, again, you're having to like march on and keep going with whatever editing, but to be able to sort of pause and just like dip into your brain and your consciousness and, and ask what what have you been finding? You know, what what's the latest sort of interesting mind bending thing? And so... I know uh, that I think what you've been working on lately is you're editing volume three of Secrets of Heaven that's coming out at some point, or that's what you're that's in the, right. the middle of. So so what, what have you got? What's going on? Well, uh, Secrets of Heaven is Swedenborg's, you'd never know it from the title, but it's his kind of exegesis, his explanation of the meaning of the Bible books of Genesis and Exodus, the two first books of the Bible. And the portion that I'm up to is Genesis 16 through 21, the chapters in Genesis. That, and he takes each chapter and explains it, then gets to the next. And at the beginning and end of each chapter, he has material uh, describing his spiritual experiences and kind of unpacking things a little bit. It's a really cool book. Such it's an just, interesting uh, style. Yeah. Very deep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he has um, this particular volume that I'm working on. He actually broke his p pattern that he'd had in the first 15 chapters and actually re released individual chapters as standalone pamphlets and even had them translated from the original Latin into English and published separately and advertised in, in uh, British newspapers. Wow. Uh, so See, I never would have known that. Like, that's one of the things where it's like, that's such interesting historical context for these works. And you're getting to sort of find out those tidbits. 
Yeah, well, I didn't know that for the longest time. And, and the, um, it makes it really interesting to me to think about people just taking Genesis chapter 18 by itself. Mm. Y- you know, that's all you had was this one pamphlet. What did you see in there? What did yeah. you learn from it? And so in some of these individual chapters, not all of them, but in Genesis 16 and 18 and 22, he's got prefaces, very short prefaces. Mm. And in the preface to Genesis 18, he does something that he's never done before, which is explain the inner meaning, which got to strike people so weird. But he talks about the inner meaning in the preface of Peter, James, and John. <laughs> now, people are Genesis. familiar with the Bible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not Genesis. And, and here are these disciples. And it begs an interesting question, which is that, so you had 12 disciples in the New Testament, uh, and so Jesus picked these 12 people, and yet, wouldn't you say, Chelsea, that some of them are talked about a lot more in Scripture than others? Yes, for sure. There's, I, I'm not sure I could list all 12 of them, yeah, right. <laughs> to, to be perfectly frank. There's the all-stars but, and then the rest, um, yeah. Yeah, I know. And and so the all-star group, if you had to pick three who were the all-star group, they'd be Peter, James, and John, right. because they and none of the other the other nine don't get to experience Jesus when he goes through what's called the transfiguration. Mm-hmm. He goes to a mountaintop. His face is shining like the sun. Even his clothes are emitting light, and they're all kind of stunned by, by what they're seeing. Uh, that was only Peter, James, and John get to, got to have that experience. And even within that little uh, subset, the dream team, there's one who stands out more than the others. And a lot of pe- people would say, oh, that's Peter. He was the lead disciple and everything. But I'm talking about John. Yes. Because John is five times referred to in the New Testament as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Oh, well, five times. Why would one disciple get that kind of favoritism? <laughs> it doesn't seem fair. Isn't, isn't Jesus the embodiment of love? Like, why aren't all 12 of them the disciples that Jesus loved? He yeah, picked right. them, you know, and, and so it, it's this weird thing. And Swedenborg hasn't talked about it. He mentioned them once in passing before this. But here in the preface to Genesis 18, it's time to talk about what they mean. And he does it very briefly. And he says that Peter means faith, that James means charity, or also translated sometimes goodwill or caring. Mm -hmm. Caring is actually what you call a cognate to the Latin word charitas, caritas, caring, right. C-A-R, that root. And and then John, uh, the Latin says bonum caritatis, and that's been translated in the hundred-year-old translations, the good of charity. Yeah. So if you kind of modernize that and you say the goodness of charity or something, well, that just sounds like how good charity is. Wouldn't it be weird if you have you have three people one of them is named Peter, the second is named John, uh, James, and then the third is named How Good James yeah, right. Is. Like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> the goodness you know? that James is. <laughs> like, well, wait, what, what is John there? Bonum caritatis. And that word bonum is really started out life as an adjective. It means good. Yes. And then sometimes the implication is that there's a noun that's missing. Right, and that's one of those things you know, in other translations. Good. It's always so hard because you're having to get used to adjectives being used as nouns. <laughs> you know? Goods. Yeah, and, they come, come up all the time. The, yep. the good, yep. the true, trues, yep. you know, or the, just things like, like that never happens in English. But um, 
Yeah, and so it makes it very weird. And so it seems really important, like Peter, James, and John, he's trying to explain them, and he's given you this phrase uh, of what John means, and then says that because of that phrase, that's why he was the one who leaned on Jesus' chest. It was because Mm. of his meaning. That's why he was the one that Jesus loved. Well, okay, that seems like it's pretty important to figure out what that means. And yet it's kind of this vague, the good missing noun of charity, the the good what of charity. You you know, there was a movie, Clint Eastwood movie, many decades ago, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. (laughs) Well, those are three English uh, translations, but they, in English, that means people. It's really technically plural, Right. right? It's good people, bad people, ugly people. That that's what the good, the bad, and the ugly is about. And um, but Latin doesn't mean that same thing. In fact, it's a singular ending. So what is going huh. on there? And so we started looking. Lisa Hyatt Cooper and I, we found five or six other places in Secrets of Heaven where John is explained. And uh, every time, interestingly, it used an absolutely practical word. It said the exercise of charity. It said good works. Mm. It said useful, you know, usefulnesses Hmm. or something, you know, uses. It's like the doing uh, or something. Very practical words, the doing. And this started to click in our minds like, Hmm. oh, yeah, that would be a third thing. Like you've got faith in your mind. You've got charity or goodwill toward your neighbor in your heart. And then you've got the doing, like good actions that come from that goodwill in your heart, not just to try to please yourself or make money or something like that, but that these good actions are based on this love or compassion that you have in your heart. Wow. That, so that was very interesting. And another fascinating thing to me when we were doing the research was that every single time Swedenborg mentions the meaning of John later in Secrets of Heaven, he says, well, I already told you this. Go back and read that preface to, to Genesis 18. Oh. That's what I said there. And we, what? Because I didn't see that. <laughs> I just saw the word good oh. with no noun. But now you're telling me over and over again with very practical nouns that, yeah, I already said this in the preface to Genesis 18. So we realize that that word good really means the good actions, all, all that goodness that you do yes. and bring into other people's lives. And so a little Latin puzzle turns into a really profound and moving point that the thing that the Lord loves the most is when we do good things to each other. Faith is all right. You know, faith is fine. Peter's okay. <laughs> you know, James is, right. and you really have to have all three. But the one that Jesus loves is when we're actually doing things for others. It actually becomes a kind of a life lesson out of this little abstract Latin point. And I loved seeing how that whole thing came together. And I've been thinking about it. We we looked into this uh, like five or six days ago, and it's still been staying with me of like, yeah, how much the Lord loves that. The, the John, meaning those good actions seem so, so crucial. And I love that image of, of love and where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. That, that's the thing the Lord wants the most is that we act. Don't just think about it. Don't, don't just believe. Don't just sort of feel stuff in your heart. That's so Turn interesting. That that, so Turn the, the bonum, action. that word, it, it makes me think of like, uh, you know, do you have the goods? You know, we sort of can talk about that. Like I've got the goods. 
or something. And so to really yeah, like, right. it's the product. <laughs> it's like the real right. thing that anything else is, you know, uh, it's like the expression of it. And so that's so interesting to think about that, how important, you know, anchoring that is and, uh, you know, the power of really bringing that faith and charity down into good actions, into their actual power, you know, through expression. So that's just amazing. If you look up the word good in a dictionary, it's very interesting that it's a hard thing to define because basically what it ends up saying is that whatever that thing is supposed to do or that person, when they're doing it, that's good. Like, yeah. like a good toaster <laughs> is a toaster that works you know, and works really well. It works every time or something. You know, you don't burn your hand on it and it works. And, and, a, and a good car is, is a car that really, really does a right, great job. It's right. safe and it does a good job of what you want your car to do. And, and uh, so th- that concept of goodness kind of is a floating thing depending on what you're talking about. But it's yes. just like, does it get the job done? Oh, that's you know, so that, that's, interesting. That's what I'm so, talking about. So, so fascinating and amazing to just think that that's just this little nugget that's hidden in a single Latin word in the preface to Genesis 18 in the third volume of Seekers of Heaven. There you go. That's right. Yeah, not right. not the first place that everybody thinks of looking. Oh my gosh. Well, that <laughs> is awesome. Wisdom. Thank you so much, Jonathan. And so now I want to know, will you stick around and join me and Curtis to hear where Swedenborg was and what he was up to this week in history? Oh, man, that sounds really interesting. I'd love to. All right, let's do it. So for this very first edition of Where Was Swedenborg and What Was He Up To This Week in History, we are going to the year 1744. And that is early, well, I guess Swedenborg was sort of in his mid-early 50s or something around then. and 56, yep. 56, okay. Who, and he's, How did you know that? <laughs> this is why we have Jonathan here. <laughs> so. who, t- who told you? Are you online looking up stuff? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. You always and, add 12 to the year. Okay, got it. All right, there you go, everybody. That's How, how do you add in your head? Yeah. <laughs> so. You can add 12 just like that? That's something that cannot be taught. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so 1744 is like, Swedenborg is still, he hasn't written any, theological works yet but he's starting he's having these dreams that are getting more and more like full-on spiritual experiences um but he hasn't yet had the sort of full-on uh awakening where he's then consciously interacting with people in the spiritual world during his waking life but it is this week in 1744 that swedenborg records on june 24th what might be the first evidence of his spiritual eyes opening which is very exciting. Origin story. It's very sort of exciting. It seems like he'd point. been having visions at night that he was recording in the Journal of Dreams and some powerful visions and dreams and so on. That was all at night. That was, uh, yeah. you know, in the twilight hours. But this seems to be the first time that he records something and it seems to have had kind of a shocking effect on him where he was wide awake doing his job, sitting there writing stuff. And then this happened. And that's right. So he is writing stuff. And what he's writing that year in 1744, he's in the middle of doing this enormous sort of magnum opus um, work that is three volumes long that the NCE has called The Soul's Domain. And that's, if you're looking it up on Google, the way it's often, the way it's been translated before is what's called The Animal Kingdom, which is an entirely 
misleading title because <laughs> it's not about what we would think the animal kingdom is. Now, why mm. is that, Jonathan? Yeah, no lions and tigers and bears. The the Latin is regnum animale, and uh, that the animale means of the soul. So it's kingdom of the soul kind of thing. And mm. ironically, since it says animal kingdom, you would never think that when you're buying a book called Animal Kingdom that it's all about human anatomy and has nothing to do with animals. Okay, but it's guys, about how the soul lives in the physical body. I got to call David Attenborough back. I just got him. For th- <laughs> but isn't this, aren't we witnessing job security for, for Jonathan and the translation team here? Because translation is not just, oh, we know the Latin word animized. Okay, that's animal. It's showing right. that context matters, right? Yes, the, the animal kingdom might have made sense for this work a hundred years ago. If people, you know, you've got animal magnetism, people don't know that that really is about spiritual stuff. Uh, and um, but nowadays, it's like, no, you can't be saying the animal kingdom. Right <laughs> up anybody until, knows what you're talking about. <laughs> right up until this call that we're on right now, I'd always heard of animal kingdom, and I was, oh, that's some something where he sort of tries to explain the different taxa and phyla of animals, and I'm not really interested in that. So. Exactly. So, <laughs> and when you actually get dig into it, which I really honestly haven't done much, but he really is talking about the way the soul is influencing the body, you know, how the body and the soul kind of connect. And so what was happening in 1744 is he's, that's the year he published the first two volumes of The Soul's Domain, and he's working on the third volume. And we have this, uh, a draft of what would become that third volume. And so it's called Draft on the Five Senses, because he's specifically talking about our senses and how spiritual influence is related to that. Um, as far, I mean, I haven't like read the whole thing myself. This is from my little poking around in it. Um, and the the work was conceived of as giant. In the first volume, he was so bold as to say that this was going to be a seventeen volume work. Oh, wow! Uh, so this this project really got interrupted by his spiritual awakening. And in a way, you could even say this was the moment. What we're talking about today, the June twenty fourth episode. Wow! And it's so it's very exciting because so he's working on this work, and kind of getting distracted by spiritual things, as you'll see. So he's in paragraphs number 491 to 493 in The Five Senses is, I was looking at it and Swedenborg is sort of contrasting humans and animals and describing how humans, because we have our rational faculties, we have these, the levels in us can be in opposition to one another, which of course we're all very familiar with. Um, But he's saying how that's not the case with animals. All of whatever levels they have are in sort of harmony with each other or correspondence with each other so that the spiritual inflow is sort of immediate and doesn't have this break point where you get, you know, your your own mindset getting in there and with, you know, self-doubt or whatever. I don't know any yeah, a, doubting a, squirrels. A squirrel, <laughs> a squirrel never says, what am I doing? You know, why, why do I do this? Yeah. I sometimes I, think that's what they're saying when they're running across the road, but... I, I buried the nut, but what does that mean? What does that say about yeah. my father? <laughs> right. What is it all about? Why do I what feel this compulsion? What if we all stopped burying nuts? What would happen? Would yeah. it be so bad? <laughs> right. So he even is saying insects have this same kind of uh, a perfect, he calls it, kind of immediate inflow. Um, and and he's saying how it has something to do with the meninges in the brain and stuff. But he ends this one number saying sort of, so because this is a draft work, this isn't like his final copy for that 
for the third volume. So he's still making sort of notes to himself of like, what am I even trying to say? And he has this line where he says, these things are very profound and need to be explored by many things. Here they are expounded only obscurely, but these things are obscure, perhaps not true. Like, so he's really even just like, I'm trying to wrap my head around this, but it's not working. But then he says the following words. He says, and he, um, and he, I believe underlines these in the manuscript because they're set in italics in the translation. So in other words, he underscores this in a way that sets it apart from the rest of the text. He says this, I saw a fly. It went away. I drew back. And then immediately after there's another indented paragraph, so sort of like note to self kind of a thing following Swedenborg writes, there was a representation concerning truths According to an admonition, as I suppose, it, meaning the fly, returned, I being unwilling, and I scarcely bore it. So sort of notes to himself, it's a little bit like arcane, but in the nature of his, even in his dreams, he's often writing about what things mean. And so he's seen this fly that appeared and went away, and he's like, oh, this has something to do with the truth that I'm having a hard time understanding right now. At least that's the take I have. What, what's your thoughts on it, Jonathan? Well, yes, and I think the um, he says later, because there's lots of flies in the Bible, so he ends up explaining plagues of flies and things like that, and he says that flies mean this absolutely outermost kind of sensory level truth. It's not deep, it's not about thoughts or concepts or whatever, it's just on the, on the outermost level, uh, but sometimes they are true, and sometimes they are false, like a plague of flies is a whole bunch of misunderstanding about even how the universe works or even really basic things. And um, so it's interesting that while he's debating about whether this is true or not, he sees this fly and he really seems taken aback. Like when the fly shows up again, he he, he doesn't sound like he was willing to see it. And he said, I could, I could hardly bear it. Yeah. You know, it's so weird. That, and I, I think reading between the lines, what's going on is that he's realizing that he's having a spiritual experience. It's a spiritual fly. It's nothing to write home about to see a fly while you're writing, you know, in, in, the way in, in your... Sweden in, in June. You know, yeah. the flies, <laughs> you know, love the warm weather and they're going crazy. Uh, what's to write home about? But he realizes, no, this is a spiritual fly and... I think it's kind of freaking him out. It's like stuff just got real. Yeah. Yeah. Cause also exactly. There's, there's a wall that's been broken when I'm, this is no longer like I've had a vivid dream where yes. I'm, I'm kind of like having intense thoughts. No, I'd like, I just had a full on sensory experience and it must've been distinct enough to him. Cause as you were just mentioning, there's flies everywhere. He, something about this was noteworthy enough to him that he's like, I've got it. I got to write this down. This was something different. Yeah. Yeah. Not just have the experience, but even write down and kind of humbly say, I, I, I was having trouble taking this experience. It was also weird. This is just a little tangent, but, um, it made, I, I thought back to college studying Emily Dickinson's poetry and she has a poem about how, how um, I heard a fly buzz when I died. You oh, know that poem? Yeah. And yeah. Right at the moment of dying, there's this fly as if there's this sort of insignificant thing and yet there it is at that moment of passing from one world to the other. It's just interesting that she would hit on that because here's Swedenborg and I don't know, he knew something about correspondences at that point 
and he'd been having these what he called preternatural sleep, like weird, weird stuff going on at night. But while he's working and writing and stuff like that, too, whoa, you know, uh, I think it was unsettling because he, he couldn't understand it. And why a fly, like the most, you know, mundane little, you know, it wasn't an elephant or something. Uh, why? You know, why is he experiencing a fly? But I think the meaning uh, gives us a clue. Guys, this is, I guess, a little unrelated, but it feels related to me. And I had forgotten about it until this point. But last night, I had a dream. <laughs> that no way. Was, uh, well, not not a fly, but it's something that flies. It was a bee or a wasp or something. Oh. I had a dream that there was a piece of a tree, and there was a you know a, I guess it would be like a yellow jacket nest on it, and I had picked it up and I threw it because I saw there was this nest on it, and I just could see out of my peripheral vision one you know yellow jacket swarming in toward me, and I was like, yep, it's really mad. It's gonna sting me, and I felt this like it getting right down close to my neck, like sort oh, of yeah, my at gosh. the shoulder, and I felt it go bzzz, right there, and then I woke up like right during that and it wasn't you know there was no bee or anything like that but that i'd never felt such a vivid sensation like that in yeah. a dream where it was really buzzing hard and then for it to be gone so something about that struck me i just yeah, want to say well, that it, it's not related but it just reminded me of it well, you know? the, the timing is interesting yes right you know so yeah it's striking me right now as kind of the what i call the divine sense of humor you know the um Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that that's it's not if 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 in your childhood you just always dreamed of having these kind of experiences you you, you don't think well the the first thing i want to see when i get to the other side is a fly i want to see what the flies in right. heaven look like <laughs> yeah and he took it as a kind of a warning you know i mean from the context there it was about truth and a warning of some kind yeah uh it, it's it's just interesting and and he's just written the words which is you know, I don't know if it's true or not, you know, what what I'm saying. And the Journal of Dreams has a lot more context of just how much he's, um, you know, debating about his underst- what he's understanding of these experiences. That's true. And so he, he does go on to publish the third volume of um, The Soul's Domain, and it... Uh, he obviously makes his mind up about this point he's making, you know, because he doesn't. He includes something along these lines in the in the work, and then, but then that's the end of it. As far as like the next major work he writes is uh, "Worship and Love of God," which is a very more theological, religious work. And then after that, it's it's Secrets of Heaven. Like so, this is really the transition point for a whole new trajectory for what he's writing about. Thank you, little fly. Well, that's that's awesome. This was a fabulous time digging into where Swedenborg was and what he was up to this week in history with you both. Yeah, man. Good fun, show. Thanks, Jonathan and Curtis. This was great hanging out. So what can you do now? Well, mark your calendars for our new content premiering on July 13th. And again, at noon West Coast time, 3 p.m. Eastern time and 7 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time. And you can subscribe now to Inside Off the Left Eye wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can continue to enjoy all our content between now and then in all the usual ways. And to become part of the core group of people who sustain what we do here at Off the Left Eye, go to otle.cosvox.com to support our work with a donation. That means the world to us. And thanks so much for hanging out. I'm Chelsea Odner, and I look forward to being with you every week inside Off the Left Eye.